Let's have a word of prayer if we could. Our Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus. We need something from heaven. We've asked you that you'd come. Encourage your people tonight in the faith. Help us to learn some lessons from Naaman and what went on with him. Because we know that nothing's really in the Bible that doesn't have a purpose for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read again, just similar to this morning. It's amazing these two messages are back to back. This will be an expositional message also. And I'm going to read the passage and make some comments, some lessons we can learn from the life of Naaman, captain of the hosts of Syria. It's a verse, uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through 19, I'm going to read. Kind of get the gist of what's going on. Now, Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable. Honorable can mean wealthy. Because by him, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, in, in valor. He was a brave man. He was a warrior. But he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. You may want to underline that note that. A little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She was taken out of the family she was raised in as a slave to Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, he would recover him of his leprosy. What what faith she had, a faith of a little child. And one went in and told his Lord, saying thus and thus, said the maid that is in, from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to now, go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. I'll tell you what that's worth later. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now, when this letter has come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. So, the king of Syria sends a letter to the king of Israel says, okay, I've sent my second command here, uh, would recover him of his leprosy. Of course, that wasn't received all that well. It came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter, he rent his clothes. He said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man to send unto me recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. He's trying to make us have some sort of disagreement so he can come and war with us. Evidently, that's what he thought. And it was so when Elisha, now this is not Elijah. Elijah was first. Elisha was uh, of his understudy. Eventually, Elijah went in chariots of fire. Elisha asked for a double portion. And by the way, I believe, if I remember right, Elijah did about eight miracles. And Elisha, I believe, had 16 miracles, just exactly double. He had a double portion of the power of God upon him as, boy, wouldn't that be a great, whoa, it's tremendous. So he rent his clothes, and he said, now, and so Naaman, well, oh, let me go on in verse 8 here. And so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard the king of Israel, he rent his clothes, had rent his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me. He shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door, at the door of the house of Elisha. I imagine he had quite an entourage with him. And Elisha sent a messenger on him saying, go and wash in the Jordan. Didn't even come out. Just sent a messenger and said, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee 
Thou shalt be clean. What would you think if you traveled quite a ways to be healed and you'd gone to this prophet's house and you expected something you didn't get? Well, Naaman was the way you'd have been. He was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hands over the place and recover the leprosy, the leper. And then he said, Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers in Damascus, Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? And I would say amen to that. If you've been to the Jordan River, it's nasty. It's dirty. The old muddy, you've heard of the muddy Missouri, the muddy Mississippi? The Missouri River is old muddy, muddy river. So is this, uh, this Jordan River. It's real muddy. It's something people go there to get baptized in it. But I, I don't know. <laughs> When I looked at it, I didn't get baptized in it. I was there, but I didn't get baptized. I thought, man, I've already been baptized. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not going to get there. I don't want to get baptized again. And so he says, man, he knew the river of Jordan. He had seen it. And he says, these two rivers he named, they're way better. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. That's his initial reaction. Sometimes when people hear the truth, they get mad. They get mad. Sometimes you go door to door, the first time somebody's heard the truth, they get mad. How dare you? Do you really think I'm going to go to hell? I said, I've heard that numbers of times. Do you really think I'm going to go to hell? And, of course, what's got to be your answer? Yes. Without Christ, you're going to hell. Whoa, there's no easy way to tell somebody they're going to hell. I mean, it's, it's, that's just every bit of pride they got in them. Their hair, if, if they were a dog or hair, your veterinarian, if they were a dog, hair would stand up on their back. You have the, uh, I like to pick on veterinarians, I'm sorry. Their hair, the hair of the, the old dog would bow, they call it bow up too. They'd be bow up. Sharks, when they get ready to eat, they bow up. I've seen it. And so, yeah. So you get mad. Then you think about it a little bit, and you get a little sad because you realize what the guy said was true. Then eventually, hopefully, by the grace of God, you ask Jesus to repent of your sin, ask Christ to save you, and you get glad. So they said madness comes before sadness, which comes then gladness. So if you remember that, madness, sadness, and gladness, the three responses oftentimes to the truth. Not always, but many times. And that's what happened to him. He got mad. And his servants came near and spake in him. Thank God for these people. My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst not thou have done it? How much rather than when he said unto thee, wash and be clean. Then he went down and dipped himself. He said, evidently, he said, okay, I'll do it. He goes down, and this is humiliating for him. He goes down this old muddy Jordan River and dipped himself. Not one time, not two times, not three times. He comes up four times, he's still got leprosy. Fifth time, still got leprosy. Six times, still got leprosy. I wonder why God did that. Seventh time, he comes up, and he dipped himself seven times, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came unto him like in the flesh of a little child. I know what that's like. A little child's got supple, supple skin, just phenomenal skin, a little child. And he returned to the man of God and said, and with all his company, so he goes back to the man of God, came and, and he, this time Elisha went out. And he stood before him and said, Behold now, I know 
There is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. He brought him some good stuff. But Elisha said, as the Lord liveth, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Elijah had been told not to do it. Now, this is the real healer. People are around there, all, all these healers today, these healers in the last 50, 75 years that have come up and said they can heal, they hold these big healing campaigns, and they pass a bucket, they pass a, a Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets, collect money, they collect tens of thousands and millions, and many of these guys get filthy rich, like our politicians. You look at a politician's salary and you look what they own, and something doesn't jive. Nothing wrong with a preacher, you know, being able to feed his family and having a decent place to live, but you're not supposed to get rich on the things of God. You're not supposed to get rich on the things of God. And he says here, this, uh, this real healer, Elisha, wouldn't take anything for it. No, it's okay. I'm not going to take anything because he wanted God to get the credit. And Naaman said, shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? I wonder, you're going to wonder, what is that? Two mules burden of earth, for thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. He got saved. That's what that guy got. Naaman got saved. And in this thing the Lord pardoned thy servant when my master goeth to the house of Rimmon to worship there, false god. And he leaneth on his hand and bow, my, bow myself in the house of Rimmon. He said, but when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardoned thy servant. And this thing basically said, for my master's sake, I'm going to help him, and, you know, I'm going to do this. Please have mercy on me, pardon myself. And he said unto him, Elisha said to him, go in peace. And he departed from him a little way. I'm not going into the rest of the story. I don't need to. Got some lessons, lessons from the life of Naaman tonight. We can learn something from this. First of all, I may say there is no part of Scripture that is useless in the Bible or is not of some prophet for God's children. 2 Timothy 3.16, all, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete or perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Even the genealogies have a prophet. My wife reading through the Bible, God bless her soul. Kathy's always been a blessing to me. She was, uh, when I started her reading the Bible, we started reading the Bible as a young married couple. Before we went to bed, we read three chapters a night. But she wasn't used to the King James Bible. I wasn't real used to it. I would read it oftentimes. She would read it, and I would read it. She'd read it before we went to bed. We just decided we're not going to bed without reading the Bible. So we're going to read three chapters. You read three chapters a day, guess what? In a year, you read the whole Bible through. It's amazing. Some of those chapters are tough to get through. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, they're tough, but... One day she, she would come up to me with insights that she got out of the Bible. I always am curious. You know, you probably had your wife do that. Your wife come to you, people that have wives that read the Bible. They come out and they say, well, hey, what about this? I've learned this about this. She'd say, you know, I notice in the genealogies of the Bible that women don't have a predominant part at all. It's always the man begot this and so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. It's man, 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 man. He said, uh, women uh, just once in a while will get a little mention, an unusual mention in a genealogy. And I said, that's right. 
It's a man's world. It's a man's world. All your men said? Whether you like it or not, it's a man's world. God made Adam first. That's the way it is. Man had dominion over everything in the world. He made women to be a help me to the men. And so the women's job is to make their men successful. And a man's job is to do the will of God. And the will of God for a woman, of course, is to help, his, help her man to be successful. And, of course, to fulfill all the other scripture part. But I'm not, I'm not demeaning. I'm just saying we're different. Men and women are different. Believe it or not, men can't become women and women can't become men. I just read an article. It said, I just read an article that said preachers need to start preaching against this transgender thing from the pulpit. That they need to speak against it, need to speak what the Bible says against it, and inform the young believers that there is no such thing as transing from one sex to another. It can't happen, it won't happen, it never has happened. So I did my, I just did that, fulfilled that. Not Bible. So we're reading the Bible by faith, even if we're in a bad mood. Even if we're of a foul demeanor, we still just read it. Sometimes we don't have a good spirit when we read the Bible. But the Bible, if you read it, whether how, no matter how you feel when you read it, or no matter what, God's going to give you something for reading it. All Scripture is profitable. It's given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. Just believe enough to go past your feelings, past your doubts, and just read it. Just do it. You know, when you get to heaven, you're going to be embarrassed. You're going to be shamed that you had the Bible the whole time and barely looked at it or barely read it. I can't believe, I've, I've talked to Christians who have been saved for 20, 30 years that have never read the Bible through one time. Now look, you, I can get not being able to read well. Some people can't see well. They can't read well, but you can listen. Now we've got the Bible on tape. Alexander Scorby recorded the Bible on tape in 1953, I think it was. Since 1953, we've had the Bible on tape. There's no excuse for you not. You can, you can run the cassette tapes. What's a cassette tape? It's a highly sophisticated new invention. right around the 8-track. But we just believe enough. The first thing I get out of Naaman is when I looked at the story of Naaman, there's something God has in these 19 verses that I just read. There's something in there for us, or it would not be in the Bible. That's what I'm trying to get at, I guess. God's put stuff in there, not just, oh, I think I'll put this in there, and I think I'll put this in there, and I think I'll put that in there. Sometimes we read the Bible and say, what in the world is this for? Well, this is okay, if you, read, if you read a book on uh, calculus, you'd say the same thing. You go, what is that about? Well, whether you understand calculus or not, it has a function. And when I took algebra, that's the way I felt. What in the world would this? I thought one plus one was two. But in algebra, it doesn't work, and it doesn't work that way. And so I said, I don't need algebra, but I'm going to take it anyways. I used it when I worked, by the way. End up using this stuff. Amazing. So let's take some lessons. Number one, the power of your testimony, verses one through three. There's power in your testimony. Um, he, in verse one, uh, it says there that he was, this man was a leper. 
No matter how great you are, no matter how rich you are, you can be and will be humbled in this life. That's what I learned out of that. You'll either get a disease or disability, and eventually, guess what? You're all going to die. A hundred years from tonight, there won't be one person in this room alive. You say, well, I may live to a hundred. Doubt it. I'm a gambler. I'm going to gamble on the side. A hundred years from now, there's not going to be a soul in this room alive. One hundred years. You say, one hundred years is a long time. It's not when you're 98. My mother got to be 86, and she said, how in the world did I get to be this old? I said, I don't have a clue. I think one day at a time. I'm 71, and I think, how in the world did I ever get to be 71? I don't know, but just one day at a time. I see our brother Tom Croner, man. He's, he's, he's getting up there with the ancients. How's that happen? You're going to get old, too. And I can tell you that something's going to come in your life to humble you, and you need to get this and get this good. No one gets out of here alive and well. That's what I can learn from that. Though, man, Naaman had everything going for him. I mean, he was a second in command. He was an honorable man. He was a man of valor. He had great wealth. He was an honorable man. He had respect and position. And yet, when he got leprosy, in Israel, he wouldn't have been allowed to be around people. Evidently, in Syria, I studied this out. In Syria, they let him mingle with other people. But typically, a leper was kept away because they believed the leprosy spread by contact, which I do believe that's still correct. Leprosy is still alive and well, by the way. And there is it, and they call it something else now. They don't like to call it leprosy. But it's, uh, it's a bacterial, I believe, infections you can get and can be spread. And I noticed in here in verse 2, it talked about this little maid. What do I learn from that? What can we learn from that? Is God can use the smallest, most insignificant person to do great things if they'll just trust him and obey. I'm not very, I'm, what am I for God? Well, you just, you just be faithful to what you know by the grace of God and spread the word of God, tell the truth, and represent and obey what you know of the word of God, and God will do great and mighty things which you know not. Somebody that was insignificant led D.L. Moody to Christ. Somebody led Gypsy Smith to Christ. Somebody in a little chapel led C.H. Spurgeon to Christ. Some You don't know who you're talking to, Sunday school teachers. Well, those bus kids, I just got a four or five of bus kids. You don't know who you're talking to. I got one of the Turner kids, man. I got one of the Turner kids, man. They're rowdy. But you don't know what they're going to be. You don't know what God's going to do through the Turner kids. You don't know. You may someday say, hey, I knew the Turner kid. You don't know what God's going to do if you're faithful. This was a nameless little maid. Didn't even give her name. The Bible didn't even honor her enough to give her name. Just said a little maid, which was from Israel, as a slave, waiting on the one who who took her captive. She had a good attitude. She said, well, if you go to Israel, you get healed in Israel, the God of Israel. She had faith to believe that. She had faith to believe this nameless slave girl was responsible for the conversion of the second command of the nation of Syria. And imagine how many people got saved from that. Who knows how many got saved after that. Don't give up testifying of the greatness of Jesus Christ wherever you go. 
Witnessing is just not October 14th from 10 to noon. Witnessing's wherever you go. Witnessing's in your restaurant. Witnessing's in the grocery store. Witnessing's when you bump somebody at the gas station. Witnessing's wherever you go. Just, just say, Jesus saves, man. It's wonderful to be saved. It's wonderful to be a Christian. The second thing I notice is in verses 4 through 7, the strange ways God's work, God works. The strange ways God works. I'll get it right. In verse 4 and 5, it says, uh, this, uh, he says, the king of Syria tells him, well, somebody can heal. You go down there and take all this money, and they'll, maybe you get healed of this disease. No amount of money. What I learned from this is no amount of money will buy God's blessing. In this world, you can money will do all kinds of things. Money will buy you all kinds of things in this world, but it won't do it with God. God is the only one that can do the impossible. The no-faith crowd will never get it. They're not going to get it, but God's the one that will do the impossible. God brings strange, unsolvable problems into one's life to cause you to look to him. You say, well, man, I got this. A Wendy just had what she had happen. That's God. I don't have any doubt that God brought that into her life, and that's brought in, and it's a strange, and I'm, I hope it's solvable. But it's seemingly sometimes unsolvable, things that God will bring into your life to cause you to look to him. That's what he did to Naaman. He brought this leper into his life. He had no place else to go. Nobody was going to be able to help him. Things never dreamed of before that will come into your life that will get your attention. In verses 8 through 12, we see it's God's way, not ours. It's God's way, not ours. I'm not going to reread that. I'm going to mention a few little things. And Naaman had, a, Naaman had a preconceived way he visualized God operating in verse 11. Naaman was wroth. He got mad because it was, it was he, had, he said, well, God's supposed to do it this way, this way, and this way. Well, be careful. When you start putting God in a box, and you say, God's got to act this way, he's got to talk this way, he's got to look this way, he's got to come at me this way. God is not under your definitions. He's not under your definition. God comes from strange, off-angled, different ways. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. He, we had a car show last year, and who knows what God's going to do through the car show. We have vacation Bible school. Who knows how he's going to come through vacation Bible school? We have Awana clubs. Who knows how he's going to come through Awana clubs? Uh, we have Sunday school classes. Who knows what he's going to do through, through Sunday school classes? But God will come in the way he prescribes. We don't prescribe it. The problem with Naaman is he had a specific ideology for God. He's supposed to come this way and do this. So he gets mad. He throws him a fit. When God comes, don't reject him because it is not like the way you thought he should be. Be careful. Verse 12. He told Naaman, he said, go wash in the Jordan. Just go wash in the Jordan. Just do it. Just do it. Mud and all. Don't miss God because your anger and you eventually reject the simple plain truth. Just believe and be saved. How many people that I've talked to about Jesus just wouldn't believe because it was just too simple? It's just, it's just too simple. You mean I don't have to give something? I don't have to do something. I don't have to work some way. I don't have to go to church seven days a week, 7 a.m. No. They say it's too easy. I need to pay for it. But I believe you've got to do it God's way 
or the highway. It's God's way. Things God tells us to do it his way. I just say, okay, God, we're going to do it. They went house to house in the New Testament church. I'm Gospel Baptist Church. We've gone door to door and house to house ever since we've been founded almost 44 years ago. We just do it God's way. We don't try to reinvent the wheel. But we're not, we're not, we're not locked in just to one way. Uh, we, we had at one time 20 different ways of evangelism, 20 different, different ways of evangelism we do at this church. School is one method of it. It's education, but it's also evangelistic. And then we see, we see in verses 13 to 14, we, what can we get out of that, that, that passage there? It's, we should just trust and obey. We should just trust and obey. Uh, his servants came to him and said, Man, if he asked you to get, do some great thing, would you not have done it? Well, yeah, I would have done some great thing. He says, Well, just go down to the river and dip. Become like a little child. Just obey God. In fact, you don't become like a little child. You can't go to the kingdom of heaven. To get saved, you just got to believe God and become like a little child and trust him. Just do what God asks of you. Quit trying to figure it out and just faith it out by the grace of God. It must be for God's glory, not our glory. In verses 15 through 19, I see we, we do not know God's plan. We don't, we don't know what he's going to do and how he's going to do it all. In verse, and those were simple. Faith gets you where you want to go in verse 15. Just trust in God with simple childlike faith, doing what he wants you to do, and letting God take care of the results. Buddy, I learned a long time ago, I'm not working for God because whether I get results or don't get results. How would you like to have been Noah? Preacher, most people in our circles would call Noah a failure. We say he didn't win one of his neighbors to Christ. He won his family, his daughter-in-laws, his family. That's it. What kind of a guy is that? Well, I can tell you, the Bible says he was righteous. And out of all the earth, he was the only ones that qualified to be saved out of the destruction of the flood. I don't know about you, but we got to quit taking our eyes a lot of times when we're trying to, when we're doing something we know is Bible, we know what's right, we know what's good, we know God's for it. We just got to take our eyes off sometimes. You got to take your eyes, especially as, if we're living in a time of, of, of apostasy and a time of falling away, if that's the way it is, okay, don't quit doing what's right. You know, I lived in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s when there was a time of great awakening and a revival time in America, and people were getting saved, and I, it, was, it seemed like it was just easy. People would come up and ask you about the gospel, and, and it was just a wonderful time to be a soul winner. It was a wonderful time to be a Christian, uh, but that's not the way it is now. But whatever it is, whether it's in season or out of season, just do the right thing. Just keep doing it. I didn't get results, don't get, you know, I understand getting discouraged. I get it. It's human. I'd, I wish we'd get more results than the things we do. I wish we'd get more. At one time, we had 250 kids on the bus ministry. We had week after week of 190, 95, 200 on the bus ministry. Our, we, were, we were busting at the seams in our Sunday school classes, talking about building another Sunday school building. We have not changed a thing we do on the bus ministry. We, run, we used to run eight buses. We haven't changed a thing we do, but we're just going to keep doing what we know that we're supposed to be doing, no matter what the results are. I'm not going to go around and say, hanging my head 
and being sad, sucking my thumb. I'm also not going to start giving away laptops for the kid who comes to church. We're doing everything we know to do, this right to do, moral to do, and honest to do to get boys and girls into the sound of the gospel. Shame on the, shame on, by the way, this money that was offered Elijah going back to that. And that, that's where this, uh, fifth, verse 15 and 16, and he offered him quite a hunk of dough. I mean, that would have made, that would have made Elisha pretty well rich. Uh, shame on the man of God that gets rich off of God's work, verse 16. No wrong motive could be possible when Elisha refused the reward. We learned that. No reward, no money. It was, it was pure. How much was that worth? Well, 20000 He offered him $20,000 in, in our money in silver. He offered him $60,000 in gold. And he offered him 10 changes of remnant of clothing. That would be like 10 suits. 1000 bucks a suit, 10 suits. I mean, that was big to have two. I've been in third world. It's big to have two changes of clothes. The one you wear, the one you wash. The one you wear, the one you wash. That's, that's not all uncommon in third world. So how many they have a pair of shoes you, you wear and a pair of shoes you... I wonder how many shoes you girls have. I tell my wife, we got a rule at our house, first in, first out. That's an accounting rule, by the way, first in, first out. You put one in, something's got to go because we are getting ready to have a baby here. I'm, so what I'm talking about is our, our, our closet's getting ready to give birth. It can't take one more piece of clothing without one being subtracted. We are so blessed with, with material things and clothing and so many. I just can't even believe we've got so many things. I just, I'm almost, I'm, you know, just wow. This was offered to them. Name and soul was more important than that money. I believe God had told Elisha, don't take anything for it. And, uh, you know, and, and I think we learned out of this passage, Naaman wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. He said, I'm going to go back to my master, the king, and he's going to go into the false god Rimmon, and he wants me to go with him. And he wants—he wants to. Evidently, was old. He wants to lean on my hand for to steady him. And he said, "You know, I'm going to do that, but pardon me for that because he—he didn't—he didn't want—he didn't want to lie. He wanted to be transparent with Elisha. And said, I, 'I'm going to do that for my master in obedience to him. But I don't believe in Rimmon. I believe there's only one God, and he's in Israel.'" God, what's that teach me is that God uses imperfect vessels. God uses imperfect vessels. You don't have to be perfect to be used of God. Because first of all, you're never going to get perfect. So you'd never be used of God until you wait. Hey, I, 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 uh, <clears throat> I used to know somebody that sometimes they had trouble swearing. And they would, they would use some swear words once in a while. And uh, I went door to door with them once in a while. And once in a while, they'd <laughs> It slip out with a swear word, you know. I mean, and I, I know your precious ears probably have never heard those. But anyways, uh, you know, I, I thought they were pretty rough around the edges, you know. And they, they'd always say, "Oh man, you know, I wish I wouldn't say that. I'm, I'm trying not to say that anymore. And I'm, I'm just kind of used to that come out of the world." And I thank God that they were willing to go door to door with me, even imperfect, struggling in some areas still, but willing to do the will of God and willing to give the gospel out. 
God doesn't use, this is not a church, this is not a museum of perfect people. This is a hospital of people who, are, who have been in various degrees of being sick. They were born from above and are seeking the healing from God. You people represent the whole, the whole array of growth from birth all the way to, to the adulthood, through adulthood down to the end of age, your age, your, you know, the end of life. And so we represent as a church the good, the bad, and the ugly. We represent the whole group of people. Don't expect to go to church and find a bunch of perfect people. You, you, you find one, some people may be smoking cigarettes, not supposed to do it. Some people may be lighting up cigarettes on the way out of here. I don't know. We've had people do that. We, I, the, my staff wants to put do not smoke signs and do not do I said, we can't do that. It's just too negative. Have you ever gone to a place and say, don't do this and do not do that and don't do that? It's just a negative. It's just real negative to me to go up and say, don't. So we, we don't tell you not to smoke, but it would be a good idea if you wouldn't. If you could wait till you got in the car, we'd appreciate it. But you can still be saved and smoke. C.A. Spurgeon smoked. Cigar. I don't smoke. I'm not doing this to try to justify me. I quit smoking when I was 18. I don't smoke. I don't think, I don't think Brother Calvert smokes. He may. I don't know. But uh, I, I'm sure Tom Crichton does not because he's just too nice a guy. What I'm saying is that, you know, uh, God will use you if you struggle with swearing. God will use you if you struggle with with areas of weakness in your life, as long as you're going to him and saying, God, I want to get over this, and I want victory over this, and, and you haven't been given the victory yet over it, but you're struggling in it. And Naaman, I, I appreciate his confession there. I appreciate it. God, he's in perfect measure. Um, imagine how many people got saved through that, that little word of that maid. Hey, there's a God in Israel, and he, if he goes down to Israel, he'll get, saved. He'll get, he'll get healed. Imagine, imagine with me, when he came up that seventh time and his skin was, I don't know where the, the leprosy was, but it was, leprosy is nasty. And, and it, went, it was like a baby's skin. And his servants probably had him a spell. Don't you think they yelled and shouted, danced around, and just hugged him and said, praise the Lord, you're healed. Because he was doomed the rest of his life. Leprosy was going to get worse. It will eventually take your fingers off. And it, it, it smells and it's nasty. And it's contagious. And I don't know what he, you know, I don't know whether he could touch his wife anymore. You know, she would risk being touched by him anymore. Probably not. Children, if he had children, he couldn't touch, he couldn't hug his children. If, if they were anywhere like Israel, uh, no, you wouldn't have been able to touch anybody because afraid of spreading it. He could go back and he could hug his children if he had some. He could go back and hug his wife and he did have a wife. He would go back and hug his wife. He could go back and hug his friends. Imagine the party they had, the thrill they had when he got back. And imagine his testimony. How this happened, Naaman, the God of Israel. There's only one God, and he's in Israel. The God of Israel saved me and healed me. That little maid, what do you think happened to the little maid? You think she stayed low on the totem pole? I got a feeling, I, got, I don't know this, I don't know this, but I got a feeling that that little maid was promoted or possibly even freed 
from the gratitude that a guy like Naaman would have had and his wife would have had at, at just her telling them there's a possibility you can be healed in Israel. Somehow I feel that little maid, well, because of her faithfulness to God, a nobody, a nothing, God probably rewarded her phenomenally. by, If not being promoted, she was freed herself. And maybe blessed even past that, maybe freed and given some money, be able to have her own home, own family. I, hey, you know Naaman took back $20,000 worth of silver and $60,000 worth of gold. And, and ten, well, he took back eight, eight changed the remnant because that Gehazi, I'm not going into that, came by. But afterward, but, but he took most of that money and all that stuff back. Why not reward her? Why not this little maid? I tell you, she was rewarded. I hope we can learn some lessons from the life of Naaman. The Bible has many things to teach us. Every story in the Bible has lessons like this to teach us about God, about life, and about the way we live for Christ. May we read it. Our Heavenly Father tonight, thank you for the Spirit of God. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you that we can learn eternal principles out of the actions of these people and what happened to them. We pray that we would put ourselves, we'd put ourselves out some. We'd read the book. We'd get, a, we'd get a, new, a new resolve to read the Bible. That we'd, we'd discipline ourselves. We would exercise ourselves to read the Bible. Every year, read it once through. At least once through. God, help people to make that decision. And then teach us from these seemingly insignificant passages Help us to see the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.